So the holidays, we are, we are in the midst of the holiday season. Uh, if you're a traditionalist, when it comes to Christmas, technically we are still in the season of Christmas. Uh, we're in the middle of the 12 days of Christmas. Uh, it is the new year. We're about to start a new year. And I do know that our Christmas season, our New Year season, as we head into the new year, uh, we, we take with us just a reflection upon how the season went. You know what I mean? We, we, we think of our traditions that we have. We, we maybe, maybe you're evaluating how your traditions played out. Uh, did everything work out? Did the, did the right family members show up? Did the right food get made? Uh, were we joyful? And in a lot of ways, as much as this can be an important part of our season, we must also understand that it can be such a distraction from what the true purpose that I believe God calls us to in the Christmas season to do, and that is to worship him. I think of all the traditions that the Pfeiffer household has. I think of all the traditions that I was able to share in with different family members of the church and celebrate that, highlight it on social media and give thanks for it. But I have to be honest with you that as I've discussed this with my wife, Shannon, there's, there's a degree of just kind of a, a I don't know if it, I would call it a negative type of, of feeling, but in some ways I think I've had a bit of conviction when it comes to understanding truly what we are, to call, what we are called to do in the life of the Christmas season. And so what I would like to do this morning is I, I would like to really begin this year and to encourage us to take with us into the new year the, the real meaning of the Christmas season. And what is the real meaning? Well, the meaning is that Christmas, like I said earlier, it's, it's a call to worship. It's a call to reflect and to, and to be reminded of who we are called to worship, and that is King Jesus. And one thing I want us to, and I desire for us this morning, is that as we really reflect upon our lives before the Lord, and as we let the word speak to us, that not only are we seeing that there is indeed a call to worship Jesus, a call to worship our heavenly Father, but in particular when it comes to Jesus Christ, that we are acknowledging him as King Jesus. Because I don't think we can truly worship Jesus in the right way unless we are acknowledging him as king, our ruler, our Lord, and the call that we have to submit to him. It is the basis of our worship. A.W. Tozer wrote this, he says, Jesus was born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, died on the cross, and rose from the grave to make worshipers out of rebels. Worshipers out of rebels. Now, we've been in the Gospel of Matthew for the past several weeks as we started the Advent season, and we're continuing on in the Gospel of Matthew as we go throughout the book. And we've seen that the Gospel of Matthew proclaims Jesus to be the Messiah King in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. We've seen in the, in the first couple of sermons that the validity of this claim is established in these opening chapter 
and verses. In Matthew 1, the fact that Jesus is Messiah is affirmed by the nature of his birth. Jesus was born into the royal lineage of David, which is the point of the genealogy that we went through throughout the first part of Matthew. Moreover, Jesus is the son of God. Matthew 1, 18 through 23 establishes the divine nature of Christ's birth by declaring the miracle of the virgin birth in fulfillment of prophecy. Oh, it's so wonderful to be reminded of the prophecy that has been played out and that has come to pass. And the Christmas season brings us to this reminder. In Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And we celebrate that this has come to pass. And so now we find ourselves at the beginning of chapter 2. And this is where we're going to park ourselves this morning. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 12. And what we find here is that the messianic credentials of Jesus, they're, they're affirmed by the response to his birth. In this narrative, Matthew reports the birth of Jesus was not just an important event in the history of Israel. It also captured the attention of the world. Even the stars above spotlighted the birth of this one whose life, death, and resurrection would change the world. And so join with me. We're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And I'd like to read this for us, this narrative. And if you will, if you're able and willing to uh, stand with me as we read the gospel this morning. In chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. You may be seated. The title of the sermon this morning is Worship the King. Worship the King. 
And the main idea I want to point out and to bring to light this morning is this, is that the proper response to the birth of Jesus is to worship him as king. And I, I want to keep saying this. It's not to simply just worship him, and that is good, but where is the aim? What are we to recognize that we are to worship him as King Jesus? As we go through the narrative, and this is what I'm going to do this morning, I'm going to walk through the narrative this morning. And what I would like for us to try and do this morning is put ourselves in the, in the position of the wise men themselves. The wise men, as they, as they made their journey and they are finally coming to the place where God had led them. And also take an example from them and learn from how their actions guided them. As we go through this, we're going to see three points. Number one, we're going to see that God is calling you to worship King Jesus. Point two, we're also going to see that we live in a world that resists the worship of King Jesus. And finally, we are to worship King Jesus no matter what the world may do. Worship the king. Now, as we open this narrative and as we read through it, we have to understand that this narrative, it's not about the birth of Jesus. It's about what happened after the birth of Jesus. And we don't know how long this is, how much time has gone by as we read this. And one thing to note here, again, I've had to really remind myself of how much tradition has entered into my mindset of Christmas and understanding the, the place of the wise men and, and what has happened. And, and I was reminded that, you know, when, when I was a young child, one of the things that we watched a lot on TV was the, I think, Jesus of Nazareth. And for some reason, the picture of the wise men from that show has been ingrained in me. Forever I've thought the wise men must have sounded like Darth Vader because James Earl Jones was one of the, the actors, right? And, and also that he was, they were present with Jesus when he was born and, and all the different things. And so as I've gone through this, I've, I've, I've been thankful to like really be reminded of what has happened and the point that we are to draw from this. And I invite you to do the same. So this has taken place after the birth. We don't know how long. I've read that it's been a year, maybe two years, but it's been quite some time. Verse 11 tells us that Mary is in a house, okay? This is not a barn or inn. It also tells us that Jesus is not a child, okay? He is a baby in a manger, and the only thing we know for sure about the timing of these events is that it was in the days of Herod the king. Verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Again, legend and tradition tell us a lot about these wise men that cannot be verified. So we have to be reminded of this. Scripture does not say that there were three wise men. And that it wasn't James Earl Jones. Uh, and it does not say that they were kings. The term wise men translates from a Greek term from which we get our English word magic or magician. Which indicates these dignitaries, which they were. They were possibly astronomers who were experts at reading the stars. But what we do know from the word is that they were from the east. They were from the east, and they had about them an importance. 
We see that they are referred to as the Magi, okay, getting back to that term that I mentioned. But it's important to know that these non-Jewish dignitaries, they traveled a great distance to meet Israel's king. So impressive was this caravan, all right, this was a caravan. It wasn't just several men. They brought with them their group, their, their travel, their traveling partners. It was, it was a large group, enough so that Herod gave them a royal audience, thinking that they must have come to maybe establish a peace treaty of some sort or, to, or maybe even an alliance. So these were men from the east. They were from a different country. And we're seeing that most likely from Herod's standpoint, he had other motives, obviously. And he asked the purpose of their visit. And this is what the wise men said. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. That was their first question to Herod the king. And we can't forget how they arrived in this conversation with Herod, that, that God supernaturally drew these wise men from the east. He drew them to the, from the east to Jerusalem to worship King Jesus. And I just want us to stop here and just see that the same call applies to us, that, that God is calling you, God is calling me to worship King Jesus. The first words they say to Herod. And as we reflect upon this call to us, that we are called to worship King Jesus, there are two things I want us to understand and maybe draw from this. And it's from the word itself. And that God is calling you to ask life's most important question. There is a question that the wise men are asking. They are saying, where is he who was born king of the Jews? Now you have to maybe think here that it, it, it may not have been so wise for these wise men to ask that question of Herod the king, right? I mean, King Herod, we're here to see the king. But you see, that did not sway their purpose or their question. They are asking, where is the real king? Not this puppet king that has been placed in power by the Roman government. They want to know where the real king is. And they were more determined to find the true king than they were afraid of this puppet king. They had to find Jesus. And this ought to be the question that guides and governs our lives. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? First and foremost... Seeking Jesus, understanding how we are called to worship him. You know, over in Luke 2, we, we see this account of, of really the only account of, of Jesus as, as a young boy. And this is after. They're, they're coming back into Jerusalem. It's the Passover. And I think you may know the story that Jesus gets separated from Mary and Joseph. And you have to understand that this, this when they, it wasn't just that he was separated. I mean, he... He basically got lost. And we know that Mary and Joseph finally realized after a day had passed, as the word says, they're looking for where Jesus is. And they find him in the temple, and they find him teaching. And, 
And, and, and Luke goes on to explain how wise and how God was already beginning to show his calling upon him. But can I just, maybe just help us see something from the, that part of Luke 2? The fact that Jesus was, was lost by his parents, his parents were moving on, uh, they, they didn't realize that where he was after a day. As it relates to your own lives, where is Jesus? Have you left him behind? Is he the priority for you as you begin this new year to really seek him and know where he is in your life? Where have you placed him? Have you put him in the place that he is truly your Lord and Savior? Are you here this morning not knowing who Jesus is? Can I, can I just exhort you to, to really evaluate what God's word is speaking this morning and maybe what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and drawing you to him to trust in him as your Lord and Savior. Just as God supernaturally drew the wise men on this journey to Christ, it's very well possible that God is working in your life, drawing you to him in a way that you've never experienced, in a way that you've never put your trust in, or simply you haven't pushed your trust in him at all. It is life's most important question, I think. That's a lot to say in that statement, I know. Where is Jesus in your life? In that we're called to worship Jesus as king, we, we also see that God is calling us to pursue life's most important mission. Again, in verse 2, it reports that the wise men came to Jerusalem with a question and a reason why they asked it. The question being, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. There was a star that they were following. They had a mission. They, they were following after. They wanted to see this king, and they were not going to be deterred from that. I did a lot of digging around to maybe find some more information about the star. Can I tell you where I came to a conviction of? Don't try to figure it out. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Very simple, look at that. No, I mean, and what I mean is, and I don't, I don't wanna be flippant about this, but I think it's important that what we need to recognize is that this was a supernatural event. That this was something at work, and it could have been a comet. I've read many theories on what this was. It was a lining of the planets, it was a supernova, and maybe that did happen. Maybe it did happen. But I, I think what we need to really take from what God's word is speaking to us, what Matthew is concisely saying to us, is that something was in the sky that was not normal. And it was an act of God at work to bring these men to the place of where Christ was. Simply, it was supernatural. It was God at work. I don't want to try and get into all the scientific explanations of this. Can I simply go to Genesis 1.1 where it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God who spoke the world into existence can surely create a star to guide the wise men to Jerusalem. 
And in a real sense, God moved heaven and earth to lead the wise men to worship him. And the call to us, and the the mission that I'm mentioning here is that every person is a worshiper. We, We are not exempt from trying to categorize ourselves in a way that, okay, um, I, I know I'm not at church on Sunday, I'm at work today on Monday, I'm not worshiping on Sunday. I mean, it, worship doesn't work like that. We can't compartmentalize it. It is part of our every living breath moment of our lives. And we also have to understand that when we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping something else. You see, your, your God is whatever you pay the most attention to at any given time. Some worship their work, some worship money, some worship the things money can buy, some worship family, some worship pleasure. But everyone is a worshiper, it's inevitable. And so the issue is not will you worship, it's who or what you will worship. In his book, Real Worship, Warren Worsby writes this, God and Satan have this in common. Each desires our worship. God wants us to worship him because he is worthy and he graciously wants to transform us. Satan wants our worship because he wants to destroy us. And worship is the easiest way to achieve that diabolical purpose. And dare I say that the the form of worship that I think the enemy works in our lives is the subtleties that draw us away from Christ. The busyness of life, the pain of, of hurt even. To focus more on the pain and trying to escape from the pain rather than turning to King Jesus who is sovereign over everything that takes place in our lives. Who do you worship? God is calling you to pursue life's most important mission and that is to pursue and worship King Jesus. Now, there's, there's challenges with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying this is the easiest thing to do, and I'm not really trying to point us to a place of here are the things we must do. I'm, I'm praying that God draws us to a place from his word this morning is that we just must orient ourselves to where Christ is the priority, that Christ is king, and that as we, as we reflect upon his sovereign rule, his power, as we reflect upon that, yes, this king has died, this king has risen from the dead, and this king has ascended to heaven, and that we are hoping for his return, and we are longing for his return, you see, that is what creates the all in us to worship him. But what are these problems we face? Well, this brings us to point two, is that we live in a world that resists the worship of King Jesus. In verse one and two, we are seeing that, the, that as, the, as the wise men are, are pursuing and on this mission, they, they come to Herod and they're asking him, where is this king? Where is this Jesus? And the king himself that they are talking to, this is Herod, and, and he has been put into power by the Roman Senate 
In 40 BC, they, they voted to appoint Herod as king of Israel on their behalf. Herod was enthroned by military force and reigned until his death in 4 AD. He was Rome's puppet ruler of ancient Palestine. But he was treacherous. He killed his family, and he stopped at nothing to preserve his power. And you see, the wise men are encountering this man, this man who they are asking, where is the king? And we see how Herod responds to this. It says that he was troubled. Verse 3 says this, and, and we see that all Jerusalem was troubled with him. One troubled man troubled the whole city. And what Herod was troubled by were simply two words, born king. See, Jesus was not elected king. Jesus was not appointed king. Jesus not be, did not become king by force. Jesus was born king. And this is the threat that, that, that Herod is, 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 is experiencing he was born king. Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You see, this is, was a threat to Herod's powers and the powers that be. And you see, this is the world today. This is the world we find today, that, that same spirit of Herod, if you will threatened by the presence and the power of Christ, but it is not to thwart us in any way in regards to how we are to worship Jesus boldly, how we are to worship him even publicly. We are to declare him king. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does your life mark this verse? Does your life display that, that everything that is in your sphere of living, does it, does it support what this verse says in Philippians? of who Jesus is in your life, of who, what Jesus' place in your life is. This is a powerful king. This is a king worthy of worship. This is a king that has conquered and will conquer. This is a king that will forever be in, in power. This is a king that we can trust. This is a king that we can submit our life to. But it is a threat to the world we live in, and we cannot let that deter us. We also see in verses three and four and is how in the world we live in that many people are just simply indifferent toward Jesus. Verses three through four, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And in response to the inquiry of these wise men, what Herod did, we see, is that he organized a really like a convention of religious scholars. He wanted to know where this king was. He, he, he convened this group of scribes and scholars, Jews, who knew the word, who knew the prophecies. And what they say to him, it says in verse 6, they answer 
Herod with a quote of a prophecy from Micah in verse 6. It says, And you, of Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What I'm trying to point out here as far as the Jews and the scribes are concerned that were talking to Herod and giving him the answer, they, they, they had the answer. They knew but there was this indifference to what they were witnessing and experiencing in the fact that these wise men, these other men that came from the east who were responding to the very prophecy of the star, the prophecy that, that is being fulfilled in their sight. And they're just simply indifferent. You see, did they go with the wise men to find Jesus? No, the Jews in Herod's court stayed back. They were not moved by what was taking place and what was before them. But the wise men knew. The, the, the warning for us here, and I, and I, I, re, I think back to our series in, in Romans, that as much as we read about the Jews themselves who rejected Christ, we cannot look at this story as simply something that is apart from us. This is a reflection of our hearts. Where are you? Where am I? Where am I indifferent to Christ? And we also have to be reminded out of this, as much as these men who were in Herod's court knew about the word of God, that is not what secures salvation. This reminds us that, that mere Bible knowledge does not produce salvation. You can know a great deal about the Bible and still be lost. You can know a great deal about theology and, and good theology and still be lost. And kind of say that, that we, we cannot take indifference in our lives. We can't just simply cast it aside. We have to take it as a warning in our life to reflect upon our life. Where are we indifferent towards God? In a lot of ways that I have to navigate my ministry as I, as I work with the youth of our church, this is, a, this is a big thing for them, in my opinion, that I always want to come alongside them in. Especially the ones that grow up in the church. They have laid before them, and there are many families in this church that I'm grateful to God for that disciple their children, that lead them to Christ, that, that teach them the word of God. But unless that youth takes ownership of that faith for themselves and declares for themselves that they are in need of Christ Jesus, they are not saved. Unless they are trusting in Christ on their own, they are not saved. And I always want to remind our youth your faith is your faith. Do not rest upon your parents' faith. Do not rest upon your friends' faith. You have to ask yourself where you stand before God. And so I speak that in light of all the kids here. I also speak this in light of all the parents here. We cannot be indifferent to our own faith. We cannot be indifferent to our children's faith. We have to be pursuing Christ. We have to be putting him in an exalted place as king. This brings us to point three in that, 
Again, this call to worship King Jesus, we must pursue and do no matter what the world may do. I just made a rhyme there. I didn't mean to. Worship King Jesus no matter what the world may do. That's our last point. And I want to use this point as a way of an application. That's that's how I want to just land the plane here for us. And we see examples of, of, again, the, the wise men of how they aim to worship Christ. The first application is as we head into the new year and as we pursue Christ as King Jesus, my exhortation to us is to worship him joyfully. Joyfully. May I share with you that a big challenge for me and has been for some time is, is, is finding joy. An Enneagram type seven, you might say, well, you guys are always joyful. Well, it kind of is true, but at the same time, if I were to be honest with you in my life, there's, there's been a lacking of inner joy. I love Christ, I love the church, I love my family, but I am, as I've gone through this scripture, I have, I have been reminded, convicted, but been given hope of where that joy is found. It's as we put Jesus in the rightful place as king. We see in verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. There is no record that meeting Herod the king brought joy to the wise men, but when, the found, when they found Jesus, when the star arose, when they knew that's where he was and that's where they were going, they rejoiced exceedingly. Their joy is not passive, reserved, or nonchalant. Finding Jesus made these men shout. Can I invite you for a quick moment to think upon your life right now, especially those mature in the faith and seasoned Christians? Can you think back to the time that you first placed your faith in Christ Jesus, when he became alive to you, when the, when the world changed, when your heart changed, when your life changed? The joy, the hope, the contentment, the fulfillment And again, I'm reminded of all the children in this room, reminded of what Jesus calls of us when it comes to our faith. He uses little children as that example. I want to encourage us to find your simple faith again. Think back to Christ. Don't overcomplicate it. Understand what Christ has done for you. Rejoice in it. I want to say that in a sensitive way because circumstances around us can be very hard. Suffering is real. But can I just call us to a place this year of rejoicing exceedingly? Think back. Think back. Let the children of this church remind you of what simple faith is. Of what simple joy is. And it is simply knowing Christ. And I get it that the Christmas season, as we've come out of it, it can be a time of loss, pain, regret. 
but let it be filled with joy as you head into this new year. Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2, it says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. That is to be our heart. We're also called to worship Jesus reverently. In Matthew 2, 11, it says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. They fell down and worshiped him. Did they first talk to Mary? Did they first go to Joseph? Where did they first go? To Jesus himself, and they fell down and worshiped him. The reverence of king, the knowing that this before them, this child has been born king of the Jews, and they worshiped him as such. It didn't matter who was there. It didn't matter what circumstance was. What they do? They fell down and they worshiped him. I don't want to try and make this something for you that is against who you are as a person. Some of us are more expressive with our joy than others, and that is completely okay. But can I drill down for each of us of where our hearts lie? Fully submitting to Christ and worshiping him for who he is and who he is. We come into church on Sundays, and I've been here, trust me. Man, it feels hot in here. Man, that music was kind of loud today. Sorry, Joe, but not true. <laughs> oh, man, I've, I got this appointment I got to get to, or um, it, just, it just doesn't feel right right now. I, don't, I, I just, I just got to sit. You see what I'm saying? How often do we come into the gathered place of worship without this heart and mindset to bow, to be joyful, You see, as we gather together and worship, what we share together in Christ is what I am talking about. That what we share together is the fact that Jesus is our king. Each of our lives that is different in here, each of our lives that has different stories, different pain, different struggles, if we are in Christ, we have been redeemed by Christ and we share in this together. And we worship him together. And what unifies us is that King Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And that is our commonality. And so let's do this reverently. Let's make this a part of our everyday pursuit of Christ. Let's also worship Jesus sacrificially. We see that the wise men, they they opened their treasures. They offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It was a sacrifice unto the fact that they were in the presence of a true king. The call to us is how can we live sacrificially this year? Let that orient our hearts in a way that we are putting others before us. That we are truly what Jesus says to do as a disciple is to take up our cross and follow him. And die daily to ourselves and put Christ first and serve others. We also see that, that the wise men, they worship Jesus obediently. In verse 12, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Did they obey Herod? No. They obeyed God, who came to them in a dream to steer them in a different way. And as I've read through this, I, I, 
I personally believe that these men left changed. They, they left new. They, had, they encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, the true king. What we don't know is what maybe possibly God used that encounter in their, in their lives to spread the word of Christ in their lands. But what we do know is that they obediently followed after and listened to the dream that God brought to them and to return to their own country another way. You see, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Where is God calling you to go the other way? Reflect on the fact that if you're in Christ, you are a new creation as God is bringing you to a place of, of being, of, of the newness doing away with the old. You're growing more and more in Christ. Rejoice in the work that God has done in you through Christ, that you are indeed a new creation. I'll end with this quote by Richard Foster. It says, if worship does not propel us into greater obedience, it has not been worship." To stand before the Holy One of Eternity is to change. You see, this, this is the call before us always in Christ. We have the opportunity to change. And by faith, we can walk obediently where we are called to in Christ. A way that we together come as a family of God to declare, to acknowledge to publicly profess what it is we believe about King Jesus is when we come to the table together. Let today, as we take Holy Communion together, let it be a truth for you this morning that we do indeed worship King Jesus. Let, it be a, let this day be a day on this first day of the year that when you leave, that you are forever changed and that God in his grace will work in you and by faith you can follow after what God is calling you to be and do in Christ. And so as our leaders come forward for communion this morning, I'd like to invite them forward. Let us pray together. Ask where is, where is God calling us to to pursue in a new heart, to pursue him, to acknowledge Christ as our King, Jesus. Let's pray.